On March 19, 2016, John Podesta, who was then the chairman of Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, received an email informing him that a suspicious login had occurred on his Google account and he needed to change his password. Podesta's first action was completely right. He forwarded the email to the campaign's IT team. However, two critical mistakes followed. First, the IT staffer who reviewed the email wrote back to Podesta stating that the email was legitimate. During a follow-up investigation into the incident, the staffer would say that he intended to use the word illegitimate instead. However, the response did contain a link to a Google page so that Podesta could change his password, and it also strongly suggested that Podesta enable two-factor authentication to protect his account. And that was where mistake number two occurred. Instead of following the link that was sent to him by IT, Podesta instead used the link in the email, which he had been told was legitimate. He entered his username and password into the form, providing his email login credentials to members of the Fancy Bear Cyber Espionage Group, a Russian group that's believed to have ties to Russia's military intelligence. Seven months later, WikiLeaks would begin publishing emails written by or to John Podesta, which included email chains that he had with Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and many other prominent Democrat leaders. Some of the emails that would be released contained transcripts of speeches given by Hillary Clinton, copies of questions that would be asked to Hillary in debates, sensitive conclusions on Middle Eastern affairs, and even the password to Podesta's iCloud account, which would itself be compromised in the days following the leaks. Whether or not this leak contributed to Clinton's defeat is debatable. Some people have noted that the Clinton campaign did drop in the polls around this time, but others point out that surveys of voters indicate that these leaks had no effect on her perceived trustworthiness. However, regardless of whether or how much this event contributed to Hillary's defeat, the fact remains that this was a distraction that the Clinton campaign would rather not have dealt with in the final month of the presidential race. Phishing is a problem for everyone, and it happens both at work and at home. Email isn't the only target, either. Attackers could try to compromise your online banking credentials to get your account information. They could go after your Amazon account in order to make purchases with your saved credit card. And sometimes they even go after your Netflix account, so they can sell your account data, or maybe just watch some free movies for a while. So with all that in mind, on today's show, we are going to discuss four ways to spot a phishing email. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Welcome back to the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. Now let's face the truth. You are probably never going to run for president and you'll probably be never working directly with a presidential candidate. 
but falling victim to a phishing scam could still harm you. A release of confidential data or emails could be embarrassing to you or to your company. It could even result in leaked information that could compromise your relationships with other companies. So what is a phishing scam? At the basic level, it is an attempt to get you to provide your login credentials to an attacker while thinking that you're logging in to a legitimate site. The online version of phishing is spelled with a PH instead of an F, but it bears a similarity to its offline water-based counterpart. On the lake, you cast out a worm and wait for a fish to bite. In online phishing, you send out thousands of emails pointing people to your fake login page, and then you wait for someone to take the bait. Phishing scams could target your email account, your Amazon or other online shopping accounts, or your online banking accounts. And phishing is a possibility both at work and at home. In a company, no one is immune to phishing. Even the lowest level employees could be targeted. Even if an employee doesn't have access to any data that the attacker wants, a compromised email account could be used to launch phishing attacks against higher level employees. And since these attacks will appear to be coming from inside the organization, they will almost certainly make it past spam filters, and they're more likely to be treated as legitimate requests by others. If someone accesses one of your personal accounts, they could use it to conduct illegal activity, and that activity would be traced back to you until you're able to clear your name. It could take time and money before you're proved innocent. If an online shopping account is accessed, it could result in unauthorized charges on your saved credit or debit cards. Although you should get your money back for these charges, you'll still have to take the time to report them as fraudulent, and you'll likely lose access to your account until the bank can send you a replacement card. So regardless of whether you're a campaign manager for a presidential campaign or an entry-level employee at a corporation or a small business, you need to be aware of how to detect and avoid any phishing scams that may come to your email. So how can you recognize and stop a phishing scam? First, it's important to develop an attitude of skepticism. It's true that many phishing emails will go to your junk folder because they'll have many signs of a scam. However, I've received phishing emails from people I know. In fact, I once received a phishing email that came from the account of someone who was less than 100 feet away from me. In that instance, someone had accessed her email account and was using it to send phishing emails to everyone in her contacts. As I mentioned earlier, this is not an uncommon form of attack. She may not have had access to a lot of sensitive resources that the attacker wanted, but by using her compromised account as a means to fish everyone she communicated with, the attackers might eventually compromise the account of someone with access to the data they want like a senior executive or a person in the accounting department. So just because the email came from someone you know does not automatically mean that it's safe. If it's an email that you're not expecting, or if a request in the email seems strange, it could absolutely be a compromised account. So once you've developed an attitude of skepticism, the second item is to slow down. 
I totally understand why most people go through their email quickly. They get a lot of email, and they want to clear it out so they can move on to the work that they were actually hired to do. However, don't get in a mode where you are mindlessly processing your email. It is that mindlessness that the attackers will exploit. If you don't have your guard up as you're going through your inbox, it won't be a challenge for someone to get you to click on the link and supposedly sign in to one of your work accounts. And before you think that you're too good to fall for a phishing scam, let me tell you this. I know of cybersecurity professionals who have fallen for phishing emails. The truth is, anyone and everyone has something that they could fall for at some point. No one is immune to falling victim to a phishing scam. So when you slow down, you have the opportunity to take advantage of point number three. Watch for some of the common techniques that attackers will use to trick you. One technique is to use the urgent, the emergency, in order to get you to fall for them. They create this sense of urgency so that you will act before you stop to think about the scam. The attackers want you to quickly follow their instructions so you give them what they want. Legitimate emails will generally try to calm you, but the scammers instead want to put you in a state of panic so you just do what you're told and don't stop to think about it. Phishing emails will also always include links that direct you to their page instead of the legitimate page. It's always a good idea to be suspicious of any emails containing links unless it is a link that you're specifically expecting. We'll talk about links later in this episode, but for the purpose of this point, it's important to understand that a fake link is the key element in the scam. Even if you think an email might be legitimate, you can always go to the website that it's impersonating and sign in there. Instead of following the link, for example, you would go straight to Amazon.com or to your online banking site. And finally, a third technique will be to make the emails extremely vague. While more details may make the attack seem more legitimate, the additional details will also cause more people to recognize that something isn't right. One phishing email that I received contained a link that pretended to be a OneDrive link, along with the simple message, for your approval. If the person had added more details, it might say something like, here's the flyer for the event next week, do you approve? Obviously, if your company was actually holding an event next week, the details would make it seem more legitimate. But when someone is sending out thousands of these emails just trying to see who will bite, the details of an event next week might turn away many people who would otherwise fall victim to the scam. As it was, even the short message raised my suspicion. I wasn't one who would generally approve anything, especially something from this person who worked in a completely different department. I immediately wondered why this person was sending me anything asking for my approval. However, specific details don't necessarily mean the email is safe. While general attacks won't be specific, someone could be working to target you or your company specifically. If you get a work email referencing an event next week, it could be that the attacker did research to specifically target your company. So the person mentioned the event that was announced on your website and Facebook page. Even if something isn't public knowledge, 
the attacker could have snooped around in the compromised email account to get information about the event. Now, it is unlikely that someone would specifically target your personal email unless you have a large amount of money or power. But this is common when someone wants to get information from a particular company. So if you get an urgent-sounding, vague message that contains a link, you have good reason to be suspicious about whether or not it's legitimate. Now, some people may add other items to this list, such as emails that use broken English. And in the past, that was absolutely right. Most scam emails came from foreign countries, and they pretty much butchered the English language. However, that's not necessarily the case anymore. Many of today's scams come with emails that look very convincing, including high-quality graphics and quality English. So while poor English should make you more suspicious, excellent English is no reason to let your guard down. By being on guard for common tactics that attackers will use, you should be able to detect most phishing emails. However, if you're wanting to investigate further, you can also carefully check out the links in the emails. As I mentioned earlier, a link is the only way that an attacker can get you to use a site that they control instead of the legitimate site. Without a link, phishing attacks become impossible. However, it is important to understand that there are many ways to confuse people who just want to check out links. For example, if an email claims to be from Amazon, it's still possible to sneak Amazon.com into the address. Someone could create a page that says something like Amazon.com.rtysk.pk. In this case, the Amazon.com is just a subset of the rtysk.pk website, so don't confuse it for a legitimate Amazon website. Another way to confuse people is to use links that look very similar to legitimate sites. For example, I once received a State Farm Insurance phishing email that took me to the statefram.com website. Obviously, this was a fake site, but it could have fooled someone who didn't check out the link very carefully. And to make matters even more confusing now, someone could use a foreign character in the link that looks almost indistinguishable from an English character. The computer knows the difference, but the two letters look the same to you. And finally, the prevalence of link shorteners, sites that will give you a very short link that then forwards you to a much longer link, also makes it hard to know where the link is actually taking you. Bitly is one of the most common link shorteners, and it's free, so it's easy for the scammer to hide a malicious link behind a short bit.ly link. So I brought up all of these examples to say that checking out links should not be the only method you use to detect phishing. However, if you still want to check out a link, it is fairly easy to do. On a computer, hover over the link, and the website it will take you to will be displayed at the bottom of your browser window. On a phone or a tablet, it's a little more challenging since you can't hover your mouse pointer over the link. However, the easiest way is to press and hold on the link, and then choose the Copy Link option. Once it's copied, you can paste it into your device's notepad to examine. I don't recommend pasting the link into your browser. Even if you don't intend to actually visit the site, 
you could accidentally hit the button to take you to the site, and you never know what the site could be doing. It could be doing more than just trying to steal your information. However, as I mentioned earlier, a link could be hidden behind a link shortener. Bitly is a popular option because they have a free plan. However, Bitly is also great because they offer a way for you to check where you are headed before you actually go there. Copy and paste the link into the address bar, and then add a plus sign to the end of the link. Instead of taking you to the destination, it will take you to a Bitly page that gives you the destination address. So how can you spot a phishing email? First, develop an attitude of skepticism. Don't automatically trust everything that hits your inbox. Second, slow down as you check your email. Slowing down will force you to think about what you're doing instead of just following the instructions on autopilot. Third, watch out for the classic signs of a phishing scam, such as the expectation of urgency, a link, and very vague details. And finally, if you want to investigate further, you can check out where the link is taking you to see if it's pointing you to a fake site or to a legitimate one. So that's all for today. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to come back here next week as we will discuss the topic how to protect your data when traveling. Until then, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. For more information on today's topic and a transcription of this episode, check out the show notes page, which is linked in the description. If you enjoyed the show, we would love it if you would subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're there, we would also appreciate it if you could take the time to rate and review the show. It really does help us get noticed. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Please do not take any action on your computer, phone, or other device unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.